Welcome to The Power of Stories, a podcast by women, about women, and for women. Their voices and their stories. I am Sharon Catherine D'Agostino, a passionate advocate for the empowerment of women and girls everywhere and the founder of SayItForward.org. And I'm Yodit Kifle-Smith, a creative dedicated to making sure the voices and stories of women are heard. I have the privilege of working with Sharon on SayItForward.org to do just that. In this podcast, you will meet courageous women from around the world whose unique path to empowerment will leave you encouraged and inspired. We are excited to welcome Scarlett Hawkins. Scarlett is a gender-based violence specialist and storyteller from Melbourne, Australia. She has worked for both the International Organization for Migration, the United Nations Migration Agency, and the United Nations Population Fund in Vanuatu, and previously worked on gender issues for several non-governmental organizations across Europe. Scarlett is currently a Rotary Peace Fellow at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Thank you so much for being with us, Scarlett. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Scarlett, for being here with us and for sharing some of your stories. When I heard that you were moving to Vanuatu, I had to look it up on a map and learn about this amazing place. Tell us why you were there and what you experienced when you first arrived. Going to Vanuatu hadn't been planned, if I'm to be quite candid. I uh, had been living in the south of Spain with uh, my my partner and the opportunity arose to be able to go to Vanuatu to do a role with UNFPA, um, the United Nations Population Fund. And I hadn't truly expected it. The, the job interview was four in the morning my time and I was sure that my delirium I wouldn't have made much sense but it became one of those moments of great clarity of I have a feeling this is going to change a lot of things for me I was comfortable and I was happy but this is one of those moments where you go for the story or you always wonder so Vanuatu is just an exceptionally interesting place it's a very small Pacific Island uh, country with 83 islands. It's just a couple of hours from Australia, but it's nested between New Caledonia and Fiji. It's in the South Pacific. My initial role was just a small one through the UN Volunteers Program, and it was in the role of a gender-based violence program support officer because gender-based violence rates were so high uh, in in Vanuatu. Uh, Generally, the global average, just for, for context, is around one in three women will experience physical or sexual violence in their lifetime. And admittedly, there are a host of reasons why we expect that that number is actually much higher in real life, uh, because it's quite an invasive question for a lot of people. So we acknowledge that we might never really have 100% accurate data on that. But in Vanuatu, the reported figures were 60% of women. So that's just around two out of three. So Acknowledging that it was a place uh, where a lot of these wonderful cultural traditions and things um, were also brushing up against these questions about human rights and bodily autonomy and dignity. And so I was there to support with this program and really understand the Vanuatu context, working with 
nonprofits, civil society, but also the government um, and other different partners. What did you learn about your, yourself during that time? I think one of the greatest lessons that I had in Vanuatu is that when you're living and working in an environment where you are valued for who you are, then you can bring your whole self to work. And that means that you can be both driven and focused, but also playful and kind and curious and compassionate about other people. And there were many times where I was being managed in a really compassionate, kind way. And there were times where I was also managing in a compassionate, kind way. And to be able to be in that environment was quite comforting, having spent much of my 20s trying to maintain a very professional veneer because I felt that as a sort of younger woman in a lot of organizations that I was working, that was necessary to be taken seriously. And thankfully now I, you know, I'm 30 years old, so I'm still young, but I suppose I'm not still uh, so, what's the expression, wet around the ears, but I feel that now with the confidence of knowing who I am and also understanding the importance of those human connections in this work and being able to make sense of survivors' priorities and needs, it's given me a lot of permission to really live that philosophy that I have wanted to practice. So it's been a really incredible opportunity. You know, your work is involved around gender-based violence. Tell us about how you were inspired or just led to work specifically in this area. Gender-based violence became this question that I was asking myself about the ways that we were interacting in the world. It coincided with this feminist awakening that kind of came on slowly, but had kind of always been omnipresent from a young age about why the rules were different for girls, why the rules were different for boys. Um, And the stories of survivors of violence, gender-based violence or any kind of violence, I should say, is an exploration of either, usually a binary, it's either you are a noble victim and you hold your head high as you endure great suffering, or you're the survivor who somehow manifests justice. And I believe that it's possible to be both of those things. I also believe it's possible to see this as more and that when we compartmentalize our ideas of violence, what we're actually doing is making people smaller so that they will fit in these boxes. So in exploring the question of who are these people, what drives them, why do they do the things that they do, why are we captivated by their stories, um, I hope to begin to try and take the things that I've both seen and experienced in my life and be able to use storytelling as a way for us to ask better questions. You have lived in several countries, and I wonder how you adjust when you move to a totally new place where you've moved by yourself to either pursue education or to work, but still you're alone in a new place. When you are relocating from somewhere, one of the foundational things that you learn very quickly is that you need to reconcile which parts of who you are are important to bring with you. In some ways, the challenges that are associated with relocating or living in a new context 
really rely on you to know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you have to navigate that sense-making process as you're doing it. Oftentimes when we stay in one place, we are comfortable and that's the nature of building a community, building a safe environment, having stability. Even though sometimes we wish our lives were a little more uh, spontaneous, there's a lot of comfort that comes with knowing where your closest supermarket is, knowing how to communicate in the same language as another person on the street. And when those things are no longer available to you and you're meeting new people for the first time, that critical self-reflection is a beautiful impetus for growth. And I think that's probably one of the most uh, unexpected things that, that came out of the experience of living and working in so many different places is recognizing the ways in which I've changed from the last place I arrived when I was presenting myself still as the same person, but bringing some characteristics forwards and relegating some of them to the back because they didn't feel as relevant or as applicable to who I am anymore. I've never heard it put that way of just reconciling which parts of who you are you want to bring to a new location. But have you ever experienced when those parts of who you are that you bring are are not accepted? In some places I've lived, um, I perhaps was more outgoing uh, in one place or, you know, more conservative and happy to stay at home on the weekends in other places. Some places I was more about being outdoors, socializing other places, you know, I was reconfiguring the ways in which I wanted my relationships to look from either a small group of people to a big one or the other way around. So it's extremely variable, but I think the key is to come at each new opportunity as a chance to see how you exist in different settings because oftentimes that's where you find out the elements of who you really are at your core that stay the same no matter where you are. So what would you say to someone who really wanted to explore who she really is in the context of the place where she lives now because she is not going to move? She doesn't have the flexibility for whatever reason. To those women and girls, I guess I would say, you know, create the spaces in which you really are able to reflect on the stories you tell yourself about yourself. It's no secret that for many of us, especially during our adolescence, it's a very confusing and frightening time. And you question a lot of the time, am I doing the right thing? Am I being the right way? And when you're younger, at least in my case, it was Am I saying the right things? Am I dressing the right way? Am I being cool? Am I being what have you? And then in my early 20s, it was, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I have to figure that out. I have to get an education. I need to be able to um, identify a trajectory that makes sense for me. And a lot of the greatest growth that came out of the subsequent years actually was about saying, look, I'm not going to look too far into the future. The important thing is to experiment with different opportunities ask myself what is important to me. For me personally, not getting tied up in asking myself, is this the right or wrong thing? Am I making a good or bad choice? But saying to myself, you know what, if it ends up being a bad story, like a bad outcome, it'll be an entertaining story later. Um, (laughs) Has variable applications, but sometimes going for the greatest story gives you permission to actually try things, especially if you're a person who's afraid, (laughs) which I can say for sure I definitely was at times. So you talked about the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think, you know, even for me, that's 
something fairly new where I never really thought about what stories have I told myself and have I believed that perhaps were not true? And so what were those stories for you? That's a great question. Um, I would say, I suppose that one of the biggest motifs or the biggest sort of insecurities that I've always had has been, am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I worthy enough? Am I somebody who, when people get to know me in a deep interpersonal way, um, will not reject me? Is it possible to be secure enough in myself that I can be an individual in the world or connect with other people and not have that fundamentally change how I see myself? Growing up, I've always been highly distracted, um, quite inattentive, really wanted to study, was able to sit down and churn through a book in a single sitting. But in class, when the teacher would say, okay, everyone now do your work, I thought that everyone just pulled out their workbooks and pretended to know what was going on. It was like, I never really fully understood what was going on around me. And it wasn't until like the last couple of years, maybe a year ago, that I started to question, well, that never felt like it was um, accurate for how I saw myself. I just felt that I had to work harder, be better, achieve more things. And then these things would fall into place and being able to engage with um, a reflective process that was a very long diagnostic process to find that actually I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is really commonly diagnosed late in life for women because it doesn't look the same for girls that it does for boys was a real game changer for me. And it really allowed me to forgive myself for all of the times in which I was trying really hard to do something, but fundamentally couldn't because it wasn't working for me. We see a lot of the times, you know, how women exist in the world. It's internalized. We see ourselves as broken and needing to work harder rather than saying, okay, well, maybe there is an external reason that can be pointed to, and it's not to pathologize our personalities, but rather to question, am I being this person that I want to be, or is this thing tripping me up, even though I'm doing everything that quote unquote, I'm supposed to do. When I turned around 28, that was the period where I suddenly really had a strong grounding in who I was. I liked myself and being able to determine within myself that I don't need to focus on external achievements, but rather to look at myself as a whole person who has learned and grown and to have compassion for that journey, even at times when I've made mistakes, is probably the biggest thing. I definitely have a tendency to be hard on myself. And I would say over the last few years when I've made mistakes, I've been able to give myself a lot more grace, Mm -hmm. um, which is nice. We love to ask you, you know, how can we all encourage other women and girls to confidently use their voice and claim their power? I think the key is to begin by recognizing that even the youngest girl has agency. If we create this continuum in which young girls are taken seriously and treated seriously and not minimized to fit in these boxes that we expect them to by virtue of their age or their gender, then they grow into whole people who don't have to grapple as long or as hard with these critical questions about Mm self-worth. And they're able to translate that bravery and authenticity into everything that they do, which enables us to create a world in which we can contextualize and understand one another's behavior, lovingly course correct when we get things wrong, 
and forgive not only other people, but forgive ourselves when we make mistakes. Scarlett, this has been such a rich time. Your wisdom, I'm, I'm mind blown by just your wisdom. And there's so many things that I've written that I will chew on <laughs> after this episode. So thank you so much for spending this time with us. Uh, as always to our listeners, thank you for making the time to listen to this episode of the Power of Stories podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a real privilege to be here. I have loved this time talking with you and have learned a lot from you and many lessons that I will incorporate. Thank you so much for joining us. Yodi, thank you very much. And we'll also send out thanks to Lisa DeJavine, who is the co-producer and editor of the Power of Stories podcast. And to our listeners, we invite you to visit sayitforward.org, a place where you are welcome to share one or more stories about your unique path to empowerment. Or you can read the stories of other women and girls. This is Sharon Catherine D'Agostino and Yodit Kifle-Smith signing off for now and hoping you'll join us for our next episode of the Power of Stories podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we do hope you'll give us a review and recommend the Power of Stories to a friend. And lastly, we want to remind you of the power of your stories.